you first start skateboarding and you start like going around and going to different spots with your friends, finding different stair sets and gaps, you start to see the world differently. So then, you know, the next day you're going grocery shopping with your parents and you're in the backseat of the car, and you're looking out the window, and you're like, ooh, that's a good stair set. Ooh, that's a good gap. Like, ooh, that's a cool rail. And I think when you're a creator, whether you're a photographer or a videographer, you just look at things differently. You're like, oh, that's a cool little wall or back. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, and I feel like even when you're like, now that I'm vlogging every day, it's like, I can film anything. Welcome to the Social Complex Podcast, where we are diving into the complex impact and influence of social media on brands, brains, and the bigger picture of our modern world. Here's your host, Hillary Applegate. Welcome back to another episode of the Social Complex Podcast. We are joined today by Hui Wen, who is a creator, social media executive, and entrepreneur. We bond over being psych major dropouts, using film and photography to pay the bills, and what is more important than brands being quote unquote authentic. We talk about his life growing up as a Vietnamese American, how he got into video editing thanks to YouTube skateboarding videos, and what it's like to live in the mind of a creator who's always scouting locations. Hui has an incredibly unique perspective when it comes to social media. Not only has he managed brand social media and strategy, he infuses his professional experience to build his own creator profile, creating mini vlogs and reels on his channel to show his passions and interests. He also shares how he used social to build a new community of friends after he moved to Arizona and how he took friendships from the internet to the real world. I loved this conversation because it really demonstrates how many different ways one person can use social media professionally, personally, creatively. It was also interesting hearing the perspective of someone who is so creatively fueled by the space and left me thinking deeper about how brands can partner with creators like Hui to really drive impact for their brands. But I won't get too much into that mindset. I'll just let you enjoy the show. Let's get into it. Hui, what's up? How you doing? Doing good. How are you? I'm doing good. It's been how long? Like two Hoax. years since I've seen you. Hoax. You're right. Yeah, two it's years. been a minute. Yeah good to see you i know it's good to see you thanks for coming on the pod thanks for inviting me i'm excited like this is really cool i think you're gonna take this really far thanks i'm i'm stoked i love being able to bring people on that have different perspectives when it comes to the space and i think you're gonna be an incredible listen so everyone's yeah. in for a treat thank you i appreciate that i'm uh, honored <laughs> all right so Hui, go ahead and introduce yourself yeah so my name is Hui win i am from minnesota Moved to Arizona two and a half years ago, almost three years ago now. And uh, Hillary is one of the first people that gave me an opportunity to come out here. I moved out here to work at an agency and uh, yeah, been loving it ever since. I still remember when I interviewed you for the first time because you sent a video. Do you remember that? I do. I do. Oh my gosh. My roommate helped me shoot that. Oh, that was awesome. So we were hiring for a... Uh, <laughs> account executive in social media and we were getting all these applications and everybody was kind of like you know fine everyone was fine yeah and then Huey comes in with this like full ass produced video <laughs> about why he wanted this job and I mean that made rounds around and Charlene was actually the first person that got it because she was the one that was managing inbound yeah and she passes it on to me and she's like you need to look at this and I watched it and I was like Matt, you need to look at this. Like <laughs> we were all just like in shock that you did that and no one went above and beyond. Yeah. And I was like, I like this guy. So then I was like, all right, I'm going to give him a call. See if he has some chops. 
And you did. You yeah. knew exactly what you were talking about. I was like, okay, he's coming. Like, yeah. we're going to hire this guy. That's awesome. Yeah. That was a funny time. I didn't know it made rounds. I didn't know who saw it. I was just like. Oh, yeah, I made rounds. We did. We filmed it. Like, I saw the application on Glassdoor. It was posted like 28 days ago. I'm like, I need to get this in now. And I, my portfolio wasn't updated. I was like, I just need to get this in. And at the time, I just needed to leave the agency that I was at previously. Yeah. Like, it's time to go. It's been over two and a half years. And um, I'm like, I don't like writing cover letters. Let me just send in a video. So my roommate like shot with me for three and a half hours downtown. I kept on messing it up. Like it took so long to get that video done. That is so funny. Yeah. I love that. I think that it showed a lot of initiative. Yeah. Were you looking for an agency anywhere or were you zeroed in on Arizona? I was zeroed in on Arizona and California. Okay. So I was interviewing also, um, or actually I had applied in California, but just cost of living is better out here. Yeah. In Arizona. So what made you want to come out West? I've always wanted to live somewhere warmer. It's brutal in Minnesota. It's like negative 30 right now. Literally right now while we're talking, it's freezing cold. And you're um, wearing a t-shirt? And I'm wearing a t-shirt right now and it's February. So. Bless up. Yeah. Love Arizona. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's go ahead and go back even further. Yeah. Let's get into it. What, tell us about your childhood. Tell us about your life. How did you yes. become who you are today? Yeah. So kind of a crazy story and I feel like a lot of um, other Vietnamese Americans can relate to this because everyone has their own story about how they got here and how their family got here. My parents got married and after two months they moved to America. My dad grew up, his mom, my grandma left and came to America when he was seven. So they didn't know if she lived and it was, it was crazy because she was just went on a boat and left during the war. The survival rate during that time was like 30%. So 30% of people that left Vietnam survived and actually like made it to America. They reconnected after he got married. She said, hey, I've been working on like saving up money and sponsoring you guys so you can come out here. And they got married and they moved here. And I was born in Minnesota. And just, you know, the usual immigrant kind of upbringing. Um, big family. My parents worked, you know, odd jobs just manual labor jobs and uh, kind of just grew up not like super poor, but not doing well <laughs> my yeah. whole life. So always, you know, had to wear like garage sale clothes, which is why I'm into fashion, hand-me-downs. And I just remember like money always being something that like we didn't really have a lot of. And my parents had to work all the time. And so, you know, at a young age, just growing up with that and, and, I always explain it like this, like growing up, it was like Vietnam at home. And then outside of that, it was America. So it's like, I go to America, I don't know what mac and cheese is. Like I'm in elementary school. They're like, oh, mac and cheese. I'm like, what's mac and cheese? And the kids are like, you don't know what mac and cheese is. So it's like experiencing that type of culture shock all the time. And uh, so fast forward, you know, I'm in middle school, high school. I start to have this, you know, desire to just be more creative. Like mm -hmm. I've always... Again, just like growing up and not being able to wear the clothes I want to wear. I've always been interested in fashion. And uh, just like my dream, I remember back at that age, this was like 2008, 2009 era. Like I'm like, I just want to have like my own brand. I want to like make skateboards and own a skate shop and live in California. Like that was my dream, you know. And uh, so, yeah, that kind of evolved over time once I got into college I started a clothing brand, and at the time I was working at Chipotle. I had always worked two jobs throughout high school and into college because 
you know, my parents didn't have enough money for me to go to college in the first place. So just had to work a lot to get by mm-hmm. and um, started a clothing brand and needed content to market the, the brand and went out and bought my first camera with my friend and uh, opened my first credit card. Didn't tell my parents. I was also studying psychology like you my <laughs> first year. So I was still a psych major, put four grand on the credit card, sent it. We're driving home and I'm like, I have 12 months to pay this off before interest starts kicking in. So it's like, let's start just going door to door to these bars and restaurants and seeing who needs content. And that's kind of how I got started with everything. So that's, you know, making content for these brands um, at first for free and then kind of, you know, increasing my prices over time. Then they start asking about Facebook ads. I'm like, okay, let's learn Facebook ads. And then got into sales, you know, learn sales, learn Facebook ads, learned marketing that way, mm-hmm. and then eventually changed my major. But yeah, that's really how everything started. <laughs> a lot of hustler mentality yeah. there. Yeah. I feel like that era and how you began and how you started working is pretty much in line with a lot of how early social media managers really started. Yeah. It's like we didn't have a course in college to be able to tell us what to do. We didn't, right. like, it was not in curriculum whatsoever it was barely even considered a real position right so for you to take that leap and start leaning into your interests like Mm -hmm. were you making videos when you were in high school yeah just like you know just like fun videos you know like skateboarding and Mm -hmm. messing around with friends and pranks and stuff like that but Yeah. yeah how did you learn how to do it in the first place youtube yeah, everything. I learned everything on YouTube. I learned how to play guitar. I learned how to skateboard. I learned how to, you know, edit videos, shoot videos. Everything was on YouTube. Yeah. And that's how I learned still, you know, um, working at an agency and then also doing freelance. It's like I'm responsible for my own learning. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, never really had a mentor or went to school for it. So I think it's great because you can learn. We were talking about this earlier before the podcast. You can learn anything you want mm-hmm. as long as you're ambitious and driven enough to want to put in the time to learn. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I think there's um, an overwhelming amount of things out there. And I feel like that kind of stops people sometimes. They're like, I don't even know where to start. There's just so much information out there. Yeah. It's hard to tell what's real and what's not. Right. So in order to get into it, you kind of got to be able to use some level of critical thinking on what's really actually going to make a difference versus what's not. Right. So how do you tell the difference between what's, actually something credible versus something that might be a little overblown i think for me like if we're talking about youtube i will look at the person's profile their views their engagement and see you know if they are a new creator putting themselves out there and they're trying to establish themselves as a teacher or you know uh the the person that does tutorials Mm -hmm. you know what i mean um and kind of see again just what their audience looks like like how how people how they're interacting with their audience Mm -hmm. Um, and then another big thing is like if they actually do this work, right? Like, because a lot of people will start YouTube channels and want to do reviews and tutorials, but they don't actually do this for a living, mm-hmm. which you don't have to, but like having experience is also super important. You mm-hmm. know? So I think that's the biggest one is, is have they been making this content for a long time? Like what's their catalog look like? And are they, what do they actually do for work? As a creator, do you ever feel that sense of, I don't know if I want to put this out there like imposter syndrome when it comes to talking about certain things all the time. Yeah. Yeah. All the time. Like 
every day. Because <laughs> that's your verification. You're saying, well, I you know, want to look at people that have done this before, but then you're like, oh shit, am I getting into this and yeah. putting myself out there for the first time? Like, what if someone looks at me and it's like, no, this guy has no idea what he's talking about. Exactly. I think that's, that's a big one because recently I've been posting more informative videos, mm-hmm. um, exploring more on LinkedIn. I never really posted on LinkedIn before, but just putting out videos out there on LinkedIn, which is a totally different platform than what I'm used to posting on. Um, but I feel that a lot. I think everyone does. I think it's normal to feel that way. I think it's good to feel that way. It's a blessing and a curse because if you feel that, if you feel that way, it might be for a, a few different reasons, but one could be, you know, the quality of content you're sharing. Do mm-hmm. you actually know what you're talking about? Is it just an opinion or is it truth, right? Is it factual? Are you speaking from experience? I think that's a good standard to have mm-hmm. because you're not just putting crap out there. You know what I mean? Like yeah. the, the content you're putting out there, if you're like, hey, this is how you create a content calendar or hey, this is how you shoot portrait photography. How many years of experience do you have actually doing that, right? Like, do you feel like you're an expert in that field? Because if you do, then that's good. Then just put that out there, you know? That's how I always kind of vet the content that I put out. Like, mm-hmm. am I actually, do I know what I'm talking about? You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Have you been keeping yourself on schedule to put out all of the content that you have been? Because you've been uh, producing reels like yeah. every day or every other day. I yeah. don't even know. I feel like I see you all the time in my feed now. Trying to. I think it, it's funny because like for you, you're like, oh, I see you posting all the time. But for me, I'm like, I haven't posted in the last two days. Like, <laughs> So yeah. it's just like as a creator, I think you just get in your own head about it. But yeah, I, I try to use a content calendar mm-hmm. and just, again, think of all the different um themes that I posted, whether it's like value driven, lifestyle, etc. So yeah, I try to plan out a month in it ahead, but my clients take priority over my personal content. You're so treating yourself as like, a client. Yeah, trying to. I love that. Yeah. I'm proud of you for that. Yeah. That's awesome. Well don't you do that too? No. Oh. For my for my brand, I do. For your yeah, that's what I'm talking about. But you and that's where you and I differ. Yeah. Is that your brand is also mixed up in your personal like your personal page is also your brand page because right. you're a creator. Yeah. Tell us about that. That's a battle. Yeah. Because as a creator and also as a social media manager, like I feel like I sh- it should be separated. Mm-hmm. But then as a creator, I'm like, no, I am my brand. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's a battle every day. But I feel like we were talking about this earlier. I feel fulfilled creating the content that I do for my personal brand I know that it's working because I am getting leads and I have gotten clients from that mm-hmm. that I work with month to month. And I do get people reaching out every single day saying, I love what you're doing. This was helpful. Thanks for posting this. It's almost like validation. You know, it's like that that support. It, it reminds me that I'm on the right track. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. As it should. Because I think that for me personally, I am not like when you say it fills your cup, it does not fill my cup to yeah. pre- create for myself. Right. I mean, the only thing that I do creatively for myself is I do end of year recap videos and I take videos all year oh, yeah. long. I made one of those. Yes, <laughs> as you should. Yeah. I've been doing it ever since high school. Like yeah. I have one pretty much every single year since I was 16 through yeah. now I'm almost 30. So it's like half my life I've been making these Yeah. because I love video. I've always loved video, mm-hmm. but I don't, uh, I don't like to have to sift back through it. I want to be able to tell the story of my year in a fun, creative way. Yeah. But I don't do that for someone else. I strictly do it for myself. For what I meant to say was I made it into one of your videos. 
You did. Yeah, yeah, that's what I meant to say. Yes, yeah. you did. Yeah, that's like the cool part too. It's like I have people from different phases that I've worked with or that I've been really good friends with or that we've traveled together. And it's like, it's so nice to be able to kind of like look back on my life. Honestly, I'm just making it like easier for my eulogy. Like, <laughs> yeah, I'll just like put that videos up, yeah, like you compilation. Have, you have a catalog to choose from here. <laughs> Literally, it's like going to be a marathon of my life when I die. Just like people can watch all of my like yeah. recap videos and be like, what a beautiful life lived. And I'll be like, <laughs> hashtag edited by Hillary. Like, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah, you were you went down the creator route for a little bit, didn't you? Like you had a camera and you, you know, I think I did I got a slider from you, like a I did. Yeah. I was really into photography. So when I was in college, I um I was at University of Arizona and when I got to my I was halfway through and my parents, I had been super lucky my whole life. My parents had taken care of me. Everything was great. And then when I was in college, my parents like lost their business and oh, wow. couldn't pay for anything anymore. And they yeah. were in the middle of all of their stuff. So I had to learn how to be a fully independent adult overnight yeah. so that I could keep going to school. Right. So I had Damn. to like figure out how do I get my shit together? Like what skills do I have to be able to provide for myself? How can I be able to afford an out-of-state tuition? Like, am I going to have to drop out? Um, and so I had to like lean into my skills and something that I was always good at was photos Yeah. and not great by any stream of the mean, but I could at least put together like a really nice composition of a photo. I could do headshots. So I started doing headshots for people Yeah. and I would charge like, I, I actually just saw in my like Facebook memories, like a little promo that I had posted and it was like 70 bucks oh, for like wow. a little session. And, but that helped me so much get through oh, yeah. college and oh, be yeah. able to like afford to live. Right. So that was my creative time. But because I spent so much time on it from a business perspective and from the idea that I had to make money off of it, I ended up not liking it as right. much. Like yeah. it just kind of lost its luster for me of right. passion. Yeah. So I think I just never really got that fully back of just like going out and like shooting for fun. Right. So I shoot my life because I think it's really fun and yeah. I love being able to remember it. But other than that, I'm like, I don't think I could go back to being a creative. Yeah. I think I'm a little far gone from it. But that's good that you had that. Mm -hmm. you know and that taught you the business and that also taught like it like you know what looks good you have an eye for it right yeah and i feel like a lot of people who aren't creative are like oh i just don't have the eye for it like i don't have that thing right yeah i think everyone has that thing they just need to like immerse themselves in it put in the reps put in the hours and kind of learn it and mm -hmm. like you can develop and find your own style because everyone has a style. We mm -hmm. have a style of a way that we dress, the way we decorate our ho homes, our office. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, everyone has a style. It's just some people don't think they have it just because they're not a, you know, a photographer, videographer, whatever it is. I think that's a good reminder. Yeah. As far as imposter syndrome goes, I'm yeah. like, I don't think I call myself a photographer. <laughs> well, you have a good style. Like this, this Airbnb looks awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Yes, we're so excited about it. I remember when I was talking with Eric, because like, bless Eric, he. It's not the most stylish. <laughs> he knows it. Well, that's good, though, because you guys aren't, like, bantering about, like, how you want to decorate the place. You just oh, oh no, we'll still banter. Oh, really? Oh, we'll still banter. Cause, so when we're talking about this place, so we have a new Airbnb that's launching in Scottsdale, and uh, we have 
I immediately was like, I know exactly the vibe that I want. I know I want it to be like a modern urban cowboy, Southwestern, cool vibe. Like we have a howdy lasso sign over there that I'm so excited. We're going to wallpaper that wall and make it like a concrete feel. So yeah. it's like very urban Southwestern cowboy. And he like could not grasp what I was talking about. Yeah. He's like, I don't get it. And I'm like, you're just going to need to trust me on this one that I've got the vibe. Yeah. And then along the way, it's always like, are you sure that's the vibe? I'm like, this is the vibe. This is the vibe. <laughs> don't question the vibe. So, but yes, thank yeah. you. I appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So going way, way, way back again, um, Cause you were talking about how when you were in school and you were doing all these different jobs and you were, you know, kind of figuring out you had your life at home, your, you know, Vietnamese life at home and your yeah. American life outside. Yeah. When did you really start to pick up on the fact that people like existed differently than you did and had a different experience with school, with family was there a moment in time? Was it through just interaction or was it social media when you really started to figure that out? Yeah, it wasn't social media. I would say I always um, gravitated toward like most of my close friends were also immigrants or their family weren't, their families were from different countries, right? Mm -hmm. So I always like felt a connection with those types of people. Um, and so that was when, like, I think that was like elementary school was the first time, like, we were talking about our family and like where we we're from and like how our food is different. And I think like I had brought, you know, my mom's cooking the school and they were like making fun of my food, you know what I mean? They're like, Oh, it smells bad. It looks weird. Yeah. And, um, my friend, I forgot, um, I forgot what he had for lunch, but he was like, Oh, it's okay. Like, you know, we have some sort of like Mexican food. I forgot what it was called, but mm -hmm. he's like, yeah, like people always say that about my food too. It's okay. Yeah. And like, that was the first time I was like, Oh, like, other people, even though they're not Vietnamese, they're also experiencing what I'm experiencing, you know? Yeah. And then going to Vietnam when I was in fourth grade actually helped a lot to see, like, the world is a huge place and there are people way less fortunate but happy, right? Like, way less fortunate, very, living in poverty but happy. Yeah. I think that helped a lot shape me to be who I am and just have more empathy for people of all different backgrounds because... You know, you never know what someone's going through. And mm -hmm. regardless of what you're going through, it might be, like, traumatizing and really bad. But um, it could always be worse. Yeah. It's a good reminder. So around that age, fourth grade, you were probably getting close to having your first online profile of sorts. <laughs> no. Your first experience with I think the, I started my first... Yeah, my first social media profile was MySpace. It was, uh, I think, in sixth grade. So, yeah, close. See, we were close yeah, at that point. Yeah, When did you start yours? Oh, gosh. Actually, I honestly can't remember. I think that I was in high school. Or no, I might have been in, like, eighth grade. And okay. I got a MySpace. Yeah. And then... That was a weird time. Yeah. Do you remember the top eights? Yes. Were I you knew. coding your profile? I was, 100%. Were you finding your style? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was making a vibe. <laughs> what was the vibe of dark, Movies MySpace black, back in the day? Like, really? Yeah, just dark. I'm not know. surprised. Yeah. I stay consistent. <laughs> Do you remember what your like song was? Uh, for your I remember my first like coded MySpace page where I found figured out how to do the song because they had just like added music to your page. Yeah. It was Snap Your Fingers by like, Hell yeah. Lil Jon. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> That might have been one of mine at one point, too. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's a banger. I had a, oh, my gosh, what you know about that, T.I.? 
That was what yeah. You know that song was that was a banger. That one was on my MySpace for a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was on my MySpace for a very long time too. And That's I'm just like, like 2008, 2009. Yeah, I had yeah. some like Andre Nicotina. I don't even know who that is. Oh, he's like a he's like a California rapper. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was like trying to be like super in with the times. I was also like I've always been like really into hip hop. Yeah. So like as a kid, I was just like, this is so cool. <laughs> like, Wait, I your cool. family is in California, right? Northern California. Northern yeah, California. I'm a Bay Area kid. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I grew up in like heart of Silicon Valley. Everyone's like tech entrepreneurship, like hustle culture left and right. Yeah. Like my career days at school were always some big wig tech executive it was really cool to be a part of and be able to see it but at the same time it just like it was hard to be a part of an area that changed so much from when i was a kid because all my favorite places are like gone i used to go to this breakfast spot that was like two miles away from apple's headquarters and like it's not there anymore wow so yeah that's tough yeah i passed ebay every day going to school that's crazy yeah i didn't even know about any of that stuff until i was like in high school yeah. Yeah. Like I didn't know anything about like, I was just like, oh, Google. I didn't think it was like, oh, tech company, you know, like tech yeah. culture. Like I didn't know business at all really when I was a kid. I mean, I guess that makes sense yeah. if you're not in the middle of it. I mean, if you're in the middle of the boonies of Minnesota, yeah. <laughs> you're, just, you're, you're not really thinking about the fact <laughs> Corn that you all around me and future in tech. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Any type of creative field. Yeah. But it's funny though, because I feel like even though I wasn't like exposed to business at all, like my mom would always she was she would tell me stories of when she was younger and she would like sell like little trinkets and like things like just like little things like she would just sell because she would like Mm -hmm. back then like you would go out in the market and just like sell whatever you could like whether it's food or items or whatever and um i found out how to jail do you remember like jailbreaking ipod touches back in the day yes so i figured out how to do that like sixth grade i just started running that so like stop yeah that was like one of my first hustles (laughs) Yeah, I would just like jailbreak people's phones and iPods for like 30, 40 bucks. Okay, what does that mean for anyone who doesn't know? So back in the day, there were limited amount of apps on an iPod Touch. So if you wanted to play Game Boy or play Super Mario on your phone or on your iPod Touch, you would have to jailbreak it. So you would have to like do some coding and run a software and like break the phone so you could download apps from a third party. And use it on the phone, basically. So pretty much like they took that and they're like, why is everybody jailbreaking our phones? We're just going to open up a thing called the App Store. Basically, yeah. I yeah. love that so much that you did that. Yeah. You were just like a little coder kid. I know. I was just like figuring stuff out. I think MySpace like inspired me. As far as being able to have creative freedom on something? Yeah. And that was what introduced me to like YouTube too. Yeah. Just like learning how to watch tutorial on one screen and then whatever you're working on on the other screen and just doing it. Yeah. Alongside the tutorial. What's like the earliest memory you have of a YouTube video? Spice Girls, those three dudes singing, like lip syncing over Spice Girls. Tell me what you want. You remember that? I don't know if I do. Oh my gosh. That was like the first video that like went viral. I need to see that. I gotta pull it up. Yeah, I'm actually really curious. I won't play it, but maybe you can recognize it. Yeah, I think I just need to see it. I remember Charlie Bit My Finger. I don't know that one. You don't remember Charlie bit my finger? He's like the little British kid and his like brother like bites his finger. He's like, Charlie bit me. Maybe. What? This one? The top one? Oh my gosh. I'm trying to you remember. remember. And the, and then like I don't the remember end. this one. It's so funny. 
It's always so funny to me to hear what everyone's like different videos are because yeah. it's like, even though it was just starting, I think everyone kind of ended up in a lane on YouTube almost. Yeah. Where it's like, this is the lane that you're going to be in. Like, do you remember the shoes? Yeah. And the muffins? The muffins, no. Same guy that did shoes, but he was like, did the muffins one? No. Israeli-Palestinian conflict muffins. No? Okay. No. Well, you ha- I'm going to send that to you after this. I'm on a different page of you. We're, we're in different lanes. <laughs> yeah, we're different lanes. We ended yeah. up in different places. Yeah. Mine was just like a lot of like like all skateboarding tutorials, like trick tips. Oh, oh, oh. That was it. Wasn't it like a limited amount of time too that they could upload for? Yeah. Like it wasn't anything long Yeah, they form. were like less than like like 10 minute videos, I want to say. Yeah. Yeah. That was 2005. And that's what, that's actually what got me into like filming was watching skateboarding tutorials so yeah. many times and then finding like this crew from Iowa that just has a bunch of like really good skaters and then one guy's a filmer and he makes super cool edits and he has like X amount of, X amount of subscribers and he's kind of like popular in the skate community, mm-hmm. like the underground skate community. Mm-hmm. And he's like a younger dude, like my age, you know what I mean? And there's just like a crew. And so like, I feel like I like made friends with these people online that I'd never met before. Yeah. And then like I started to really like their the way that he was filming things and then it, that made me want to like make skate videos and that's how everything really kind of started was making skate videos i love that yeah how long were your skate videos yeah about like two or three minutes okay so yeah. not bad yeah yeah still making some type of a story arc there with yeah. that but the skate like i still apply so like you know like the swipe transition i do on my stories yeah that's from skate videos lol I remember yeah. does this like really funny, like really creative way of like swiping where it almost looks like the screen just like swipes to the side and like transitions up. Like you auto, you do your own transitions. Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> I remember I was like, wait, how are you doing that? Like, is that an app? <laughs> yeah. You just like zoom in and like swipe to the side and you're just like, oh, you just do this. And you like flick of the wrist. And I yeah. was like, oh, you, you do that, do that. Yeah. You don't just like edit that over. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That was hilarious. I yeah. love that. Uh, so when you were in college and when and how did you decide to get into working in social media? What was kind of that pivotal moment for you where you're like, Ooh, this is really the road I want to go down. Mm, at first it was just out of necessity of like having to pay off that camera. But when it really became an opportunity, I was in a transitional period about to leave Chipotle and I was also working at Costco at the same time. So I was like commuting an hour and a half back to work at Costco on the weekends because they were paying like 11 bucks an hour, which is insane, right? And um, I really wanted to get into this agency called B507. And the bread and butter of what they did was like apps and websites, but they also did some content creation. And they were owned, they were a department under the university. So it wasn't like a separate company or anything. I had applied, I think a year prior and they're like you have no experience like these gay videos mean nothing like you don't know what you're doing yeah and uh so i didn't have a portfolio but i just kind of stayed in contact and then between that time i got my own camera and started creating content for bars and local businesses restaurants putting it on my social media and doing that alongside my friend's startup agency and that was the first time I was like, wow, my personal brand matters because that's what gave me leverage to get a job at the agency I wanted to work at. Mm-hmm. So the project manager approached me and she was like, hey, I see what you're doing. 
I know you applied to be a videographer, but we think you would be good as, you know, a project manager. Like that's what the opening we have. So that was the first time I got to start working in social media. And then when I started, it was like instantly, like within a week, I was like, this is what I want to do. Yeah. Yeah. So you're a creator. I would like categorize you as a creator, yeah. personally, professionally. Mm-hmm. When you're going through life, are you feeling like you have the lens as like how you're going to be creative about something? Or do you ever just like put it away completely to bed on, you know, going out to dinner and having a conversation? Or are you kind of like, ooh, like, is this a good opportunity for me to have like something like cool come out of this? Or yeah. I see like a vision here. Let me go ahead and, you know, snap a shot or something like that. You know, your brain, I just want to know how your brain operates yeah. in everyday situations. When you no have one's that ever asked side. me that before. That's a really good question. Because I'm not great. I don't have that. Yeah. But also, like, you have that psychology background. So I that's, do. that's really good. I love that question. Um, I, gosh, I love that question. I would say I have to turn that off. Mm-hmm. Like, for me, I have to, like, make an effort to say, like, okay, I'm going to dinner with my girlfriend. Like, I can't be on my phone. Like, mm-hmm. I can't, you know, like, because I, I, I'm always, it's always on, I feel like no matter what I'm doing, it'll just, and it's not that I'm always thinking about, Ooh, how can I get this or whatever? It's just like happens. Like, I think again, that comes back to like skateboarding. When you first start skateboarding and you start like going around and going to different spots with your friends and finding different stair sets and gaps, you start to see the world differently. So then, you know, the next day you're going grocery shopping with your parents and you're in the backseat of the car and you're looking out the window and you're like, Ooh, that's a good stair set. Ooh, that's a good gap. Like, Ooh, that's a cool rail. And I think when you're a creator, whether you're a photographer or a videographer, you just look at things differently. You're like, oh, that's a cool little wall or back. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, and I feel like even when you're like, now that I'm vlogging every day, it's like everything is like, mm-hmm. I can film anything, you know? And so I have to try to turn it off because mm-hmm. I feel like it's always on. I'm not always thinking about it, but when it's something cool, like when I walked in, I was like, that's a really cool the way that you have it mounted, I love how it's black. I mean, that would re- look really cool as a wide angle, just like walking in. Like, mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You're just seeing sets left and right. Yeah, yeah, basically. It's like the creative brain is just going and going and it's hard to turn off. Yeah, it's hard to turn off for sure. That's where I think it's always fascinating as far as creators go because I have so much admiration for you and for creators and influencers because a lot of passion goes into it and Mm -hmm. a lot of work goes into it. Yeah. And I think that the difference between someone that's going to make it in the space and not make it in the space is people that are like, yes, I love this. This energizes me and this fuels me. Right. Where other people that are like, it would be so cool to do this and I like it. That's true. But this shit drains me. Yeah. And it's like, that's going to be the key differentiator between someone who is going to be really successful in it like you or someone that's not really going to be able to pull their weight. But then do you feel like there's an added pressure externally for you to be able to hit a certain number or post a certain amount of times or be as on because you're looking out and you're seeing that in the world? I think the strategy side of things and knowing like and like considering the algorithm and like you know, actually like growing a brand or your personal page, Mm -hmm. that's the pressure that I have to post X amount of days or be consistent. Like the creator lens, I don't feel that way. Mm -hmm. And I I, I jotted this down because I want to make a video about that, what you were just saying about people who are creators do it because they're passionate about it and they don't turn it off. It's always on Mm -hmm. and they like feel energized by it. It's fun for them. And for me as a creator, I think about it. I'm like, 
as I'm going throughout my day, like today was kind of cool. I met with a client. I did a shoot. Now I'm talking to you and then I'm going to this welcome to Arizona event after I'm like, this is a really cool day to vlog. Like I mm-hmm. don't go out of my way to say, Oh, I need to do this because it's going to look cool. I just, mm-hmm. I'm like, Oh, it's a cool day. <laughs> no, Siri, yeah. everything is right. <laughs> no. Um, but I also, um, to your point, like people that want to do that, mm-hmm. it's so hard. And I think there's a lot of people on TikTok, the side of TikTok that I'm on, I'm seeing just, if you want to be an influencer, if you want to be creative, you have to post this amount of days, you have to do this, this, and this. And it's like very, I would say almost discouraging because people that don't have that lens turned on all the time, it's really hard for you to just say like, you need to do this. That's why you're not where you want to be because you just need to do that. It's like, are you passionate about this? Like, do you actually like love this, right? Maybe mm-hmm. you love consuming that type of content. Maybe you could still work in social, but it's a different area, mm-hmm. right? So I think that's a really good point that you made. Do you think that you see that fake life make up your own day, make it look a certain way or a certain aesthetic and people kind of go on out of their way in order to, as a creator themselves, really try to seed in? false realities with their vlogging. Yeah, I think um, I think it's hard for me to tell because if I don't know that person, it's hard for me to tell. Mm-hmm. But I do know that like, you look at anyone that does a daily vlog in New York, it looks amazing. Like it looks, I want to live there. It looks so bougie, like something, you know what I mean? But it's like, they're showing a really nice side of New York. Like the reason why I bring this up, I'll have to send you the video, but this girl who is a content creator in New York, she's like, everyone's saying it's so nice here and this and that. Here's a realistic day in New York. Mm-hmm. And it's like videos of trash all over the street, rats running everywhere. You know what I mean? It's like, mm-hmm. so people definitely show what's nice. And mm-hmm. I do that in my content too. It's like, I'm not going to show my desk all messy. Like I'm going to clean it up a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Cause you're trying to showcase a vibe. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's really hard back to your question to tell if someone's like faking it, you know what I mean? Faking it. I think I, I would, I don't know until I meet them. And I have met people who portray themselves as very spiritual or, you know, as this coach and having it all together and creating content about be more feminine and be more sensitive and be more mindful. And then you like hanging out with them and they're just like, not that, Yeah, you know what I mean? But they do that because they're like, it works for what they're trying to do. And in that sense, I'm like, ugh, I don't really like that. It doesn't sit well. Yeah, it doesn't sit well with me. Like, I respect the hustle, but like, ugh, I don't yeah. like that. I think that's a funny angle too to look at it where it even the New York side of things and having a certain aesthetic or a certain vibe. Yeah. Like I remember my my brother is a lawyer. He's not really like a creative person necessarily. Right. And when one of my early, early videos that I had made when I was in college, one of my recap videos that I had was yeah. like all of my highlights, like real essentially of like what I was doing on all these like really fun events that were really real and authentic to me and my life at that time. But I didn't have videos of like the shit. I didn't have videos of a hard time. So right. he knows looking at me that there's a lot more going on beneath the surface. Right. And he brought up to me, he's like, I just feel like it's really inauthentic for you to portray that your life is like all these things when it's not. And that has always kind of stuck with me as far as like, I, well, we have a really good relationship and he was, and he's not necessarily a creative person in that sense. So he's not looking at it the same way I am, but that was like a very interesting moment for me to look at it and say, 
no, that is my reality, but that is my like glass half full. That is my, the highlights of my day. That is when I look back on things personally, I'm going to want to be like, I am like stoked on that. Yeah. Of course I can talk about the shit. Right. Like I can get into the deep stuff, Yeah. but I prefer to reserve my deep conversations and my hardships for my friends, my family, my tight knit community right. and like my humor. Yeah. Cause trauma makes you funnier. Right. <laughs> so if you have a good, like if you have a good mindset about it, yes. good perspective, which I think you do. Yeah. Cause I, that's something that I'm really struggling with. Like, that and just I'm open about this stuff like and Megan's been helping my girlfriend Megan she's been helping me a lot with this of like when I get irritated about something or something like traumatic happens or like a personal things come come, come up with my family it's like it's so hard for me to just like ah, like my life like you know what mm-hmm. I mean like I feel like and maybe you're not that way but for me I'm just like oh my god this ruined my day yeah I'm like now I'm angry and I'm gonna go have a great workout because I'm upset or I'm just gonna not do anything for this day and just mm-hmm. stay inside. You know what I mean? Like I need to, I'm trying to get better of just like compartmentalizing things. I would say there's two sides to that coin. Cause with my family and my life and my history, like there've been things that I'm like, Oh geez Louise. Like, but I have always had a little bit of a dark sense of humor. Yeah. And I think that helps me a lot. Yeah. And it's not, to, and I also have been in therapy my whole life. Oh, Cause my good. mom was a therapist. Yeah. And she, she's not, she's not my therapist <laughs> yeah. for clarification, yeah. but she always understood the importance of having a outlet and being able to work through emotions and being able to have that third party validation as you're yeah. going through things and help you identify. Yeah. So when I was a kid, I, you know, met with a therapist yeah. I, there was nothing inherently wrong with me. Right. It was just, that's what it was. It was, I'm going to meet with someone and I'm going to talk to them and they're going to get to know me. Um, I think the first time I ever went to and saw a therapist, I was like six, but it was, that's awesome. It was, it wasn't like individualized therapy. It was like, my parents were introducing me to the therapist that they had been working with. And they're like, Hey, this is, you know, so-and-so. And And she's still like my therapist to this day. So she, I grew up with her when I was in, I had anxiety when I was a kid because I was almost kidnapped when I was a kid. And I like I have a video about it, and I'll talk about it on this podcast one day. But I, my mom had a stalker that was like came to my school and stuff, and I had to move into private school, and like I couldn't, I left all my friends and stuff, and I was in a really small school, and so I had anxiety that came out of that. So I had to go to therapy actually for anxiety and like work through that. Right, Um, and that was in middle school, which is like I don't know how how was middle school for you as a guy. Was it great? Was it terrible? Uh, it was terrible for me at a terrible time. <laughs> yeah. I feel like middle school was just like, okay. Yeah. Like I, middle school was the first time that I started to feel like really outcasted. Yep. You know, just like culture shock, posture syndrome, mm-hmm. not, knowing, not having like close friends and stuff like that. So yeah, it wasn't wasn't great. <laughs> I hated middle school. Yeah. I, like by far worst time for me. But that was when... I actually started seeing a therapist more seriously for actual diagnoses. Yeah. Um, and then by the time I was in high school, I hit my stride and I was having a good time. I mean, I was a normal high schooler, nothing. I wasn't like super popular. I wasn't unpopular. I was like able to kind of just like coast yeah, yeah. <laughs> and have a good time. But that 
knowledge and like working with a therapist through all of that life cycle and like first boyfriends and moving to college and navigating family. It was like, it was a very different perspective than I think a lot of people are given. Yeah. So I think that that also has helped a ton with me and later in life as things do pop up. Yeah. I do have a very long history of like working through it. Yeah. Not to say I'm perfect. I still get very, very anxious, very overwhelmed, very angry at things, but Little, I mean, now big, big stuff to a lot of people can feel pretty little to me because I'm like, nah. yeah, nah. that's so cool. Like your family therapist and you're still mm-hmm. with her through all these chapters of your life. That's so cool. She's awesome. That's a superpower. I think it's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm a huge proponent of therapy and I, I know we're both, uh, we former psychology majors. Yeah. <laughs> Why did you start with psychology major? I think for a similar reason as you maybe of just, um, you know, going through a lot of things as a kid and just, I was just always interested in why I think a certain way, Mm -hmm. like my, my parents are very different from each other. So like personalities have always been something that was intriguing to me. Mm -hmm. Um, I was also, I mentioned like feeling like an outcast growing up and not having a lot of friends. And so like learning to, be more extrovert or charismatic or learning how to make friends. Like that's all, those are all skills. Right. And mm-hmm. that's like your energy changes based on who you're with. Mm-hmm. And I think I realized that at a young age. So I just wanted to like learn more about that, you know? So yeah, I think that's, that was the main reason. How has that interest feeded into your, where you are now with social media and working in it? I think it's like, it goes hand in hand being able to, have an understanding of like my audience and then being able to put my myself in the consumer shoes of my clients and trying to understand like what they want to see, what's authentic to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also just like when I'm getting clients and networking, right? Like knowing how to kind of like approach that, right? Um, have you ever been to a networking event where it's just like, like it's just like like almost every networking event i've ever been to yeah i was at one that was really cool recently what Uh, really arizona entrepreneurs Uh, how was it different shout out arizona entrepreneurs um this guy was he moved from michigan midwest Mm -hmm. guy was an uber driver two years ago or a year ago i think and um met this guy and he became his mentor um and he started arizona entrepreneurs and now he's just like running that and helps connect a lot of really cool people together. And I went there and I was wearing like joggers and like, you know, t-shirt, just kind of, I dress more edgy, mm-hmm. I would say. And I was with uh, my friends that run Welcome to Arizona and we we pulled up and met a few people and like everyone's just like dressing the way that they want to. And yeah. It's like, it was just really cool. It was like a really cool vibe. It wasn't, hey, here's my card. I do financial planning. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like it wasn't like that at all. You it know? felt more true to you a little bit. Yeah. And it helped that the guy that started it is very authentic. Like he's mm-hmm. up on stage like cursing and like just being himself, you know. Yeah. He's like, I didn't have anything figured out. Like I came here. I just, I knew I wanted to start several businesses. I started these businesses. It failed. Mm-hmm. Then I realized how important networking was. And that's why this was created. And, you know, it was just like built on something very authentic. So I think that yeah. goes down. I love that. I think that can be said too with brands and how when they're thinking about how they're showing up in person online, they have to, I 
I was joking offline and I've said it multiple times, but I like when people say, yeah, brands just have to be authentic. I'm like, what does that mean? Right. Like, what are you actually saying a brand needs to be authentic? Right. Like how does a brand have a soul? Yeah. Like, what are you saying? Are they showing up as their true self? Yeah. Like, what I does think that mean to you? To me, when yeah. a brand's being authentic, yeah. I don't know if I necessarily believe in a brand being authentic as much as I think that it's important for a brand to be relatable to the audience that they're trying to attract. Exactly. And I think it's about relatability yep. and something that I feel like Gen Z has really turned brands in for a loop is how brands are showing up on TikTok because yep. brands aren't going to survive on TikTok if they're not immediately relatable. Exactly. And it's not bringing yourself down to the level. Like I, one of my first jobs when I was working in social media was in higher education. I was working at university of Arizona. Oh, cool. I was in admissions. So I was attracting Gen Z yeah. before they were officially really programmed as Gen Z. Right. And I had to study and learn how they were different and what was interesting to them. And Snapchat was super in, it was yeah. like 2013 and it's like all the kids are using, everybody's right. using it. And I presented it at a meeting to get U of A onto Snapchat because I was like, we can absolutely start to create some like really fun campaigns. We can do some really cool, you know, giveaways. We can do some like behind the scenes question and answers and stuff like this. I had this whole plan and they were like, isn't that a sexting app? I was like, could be. <laughs> I mean, depends on how you use it, mister, but like, <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know, but it, it's, it, it, it could be. So, um, they it's were so like, funny. no, we're not going to do it. And then Aww. the next year after I left, they were recognized in Forbes for being like innovative and getting a Snapchat. Wow. And I was like, so that's more of what it is though. I think it's relatability and it showing up where your audience is understanding how to talk to them yep. and get them to give a shit about you yeah. is really what it comes down to. It's psychology. Yeah, it is. It's an understanding of what your audience wants to see mm -hmm. and what resonates with them. And getting I mean, out of your own way of being like, well, this is how we have done it or this is who we are. This is yeah. historically, you know, what we've lived within the confines of. It's like, well, why don't you, you know, expand a little bit. Yeah. And I feel bad for bringing this up again because I've talked about this like a lot on the podcast and these back-to-back -back episodes are going <laughs> to show it but yeah. like duolingo yeah on tiktok mm -hmm. have you seen their stuff not much oh my gosh okay they, you put me on that oh my gosh everyone uses the term unhinged and it's completely accurate like completely unhinged absolutely ridiculous to the nines they're like a wendy's okay wendy's did it first yeah. with you know the whole edgy vibe and like being ridiculous and aggressive and then there's the fine line because you don't want to go too far with it. Mm -hmm. But I think that that attracted the audience that's going to sit there and be like, that's hysterical. Yeah. And they leaned into that voice more. So it's like brands that are able to find their voice, even if it's not hilarious, not everybody needs to be it doesn't funny. Have to be, yeah. Sometimes you're educational and you're really leaning into the fact that you're going to create content to educate. Right. Right. That's so true. So that would be my answer. So what would you say? Slim Jim is another good one too on Instagram if you've ever seen them. Okay, you want to know what's funny? What? Slim Jim is definitely geared towards guys, I think. 100%. Every single guy I talk to in the space is like Slim Jim. Yeah. And I'm like, I've never seen their stuff. Oh, their stuff is so funny. 
chasing Avian to that. Oh, yeah. For me, I would agree. I would say that's the same thing. What's relevant to your audience? Everyone's audience is different. So I agree. I think that's one of those blanket terms of like, oh, brands need to be more authentic. It's just like saying like, oh, we should be social first. Well, what does that mean? Like, mm-hmm. it, it's it's different for every client. You have to have an understanding of your client. And I think being able to put yourself in the shoes of that client's customer mm-hmm. or audience, like if you can do that and think about what they want to see, like actually look like I'll go to a client's page and I'll look at their comments or mm-hmm. look at their following and look at the actual like who they who are these people you know what yes. I mean I feel like that always helps yeah for me at least but yeah and it puts a faith to the name yeah I mean I was doing that with strategy for a while I was just like going in and finding someone that actually followed them and actually engaged with their content and using their photo as like the persona photo yeah yeah I was like I'm not going to stock photos we're going into like yeah the we're real going, we're going real that's smart I like that and that's part of it too, is that you have people that are following and opting in to say, I want to follow you and I right. want to see what you're producing and I want to see what you're coming up with. Yeah. And it all comes back to, you know, what are you actually going to be doing with? Yeah. How are you going to be really getting that person to take an action with your brand? Whether, even if it's sharing your page, Yeah. even if it's being on a podcast one day and talking about the fact that your page creates really cool stuff. Yeah. So how are you going to be able to resonate with that person? Exactly. Slim Jim resonates with you. A little bit. I just think, I think what they've created a really cool community and they like have like these, like this cult following, which I think is really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of like Wendy's, but it's also like kind of weird. Um, but I think that's, I got one for you. So I have a client that does personal training and him and his wife both do online personal training. They're doing really well. They have like 30 or 40 online clients per month and um, they also compete in bodybuilding shows and stuff like that. So the majority of their clients are just regular people, business professionals, nine to fivers that just want to get into shape. And then they have like maybe like 10% of their clients are like actual like bodybuilders that they help to get to the next level to win shows or, you know what I mean? And um, one thing that I'm finding with this client is he has a uh, his like personal training Instagram page. Mm-hmm. They do merch and they they like post like transformation photos, you know, motivational stuff like that. I recently took over his page. Mm-hmm. I think we're about a month in, and I've tried to like clean it up to make it more. Uh, like he didn't have a brand kit, so we made a brand guide for him and like made everything more consistent. Mm-hmm. But the funny thing is like like the graphics and like the more consistent content that's more aligned with his brand guide don't do so well, Mm -hmm. but the videos of him just like riffing and just like talking about something and it could be anything just crush it. Like the reels, Mm -hmm. like him just talking about bodybuilding or about training or about sleep and recovery. And like those videos get like four or five, 6,000 views. Mm -hmm. Whereas like the videos of him, like, or, you know, something else that's not him just like, kind of like spitballing Mm -hmm. doesn't do that well which is really funny so i i I think that's interesting because you wanted to talk about kind of like the gym bros and and stuff like that that type of culture but i think it's interesting because for most most of the time like i see if you think about like fitness influencers right if you look at their page it's not super consistent like it's not very well branded i don't know if you would agree or not i feel like it's just a lot of like it's it can be selfies lifestyle stuff and then gym workouts. Mm-hmm. If I'm 
hiring someone as a coach, I would want to feel like that's like a company, not just the coach. You, you know want a I mean? program. I want like a program. I mm-hmm. want it to be like branded like Exos or, you know, like uh, Fit Body Fusion, something like that. You yeah. know what I mean? Because it builds credibility. Yeah, I think it builds more credibility. But I feel I feel like that's like a little bit of an, an anomaly that I'm seeing on social mm-hmm. in the fitness space. Like I feel like fitness that audience they don't really care if it looks that branded they just care about that person yeah and like this person can drive results from these transformation photos Mm -hmm. so you look at the feed it's like it just looks horrible because it's just a bunch of transformation photos but that's what they want you know what's funny is that really similar industry to that is hairdressers yeah like when you're thinking about how someone is going to be choosing a hairdresser, really good example. they're going to go in and they're going to be looking at, okay, I want to see my hair. Yeah. I want to see my style. Same thing with nails. Nails are having a moment Yeah. in like personal hygiene yeah. and like beauty space. There's so many nail art creators and like nail polish designers that are coming in. I mean, I just booked an appointment because I was like, I'm getting sucked into this woman who does incredible nails. And I'm yeah. like, I'm not even... But her page is just all nails. It's the ugliest feed it I've is. ever seen. But it works. But it works. Yeah. How does that do with your creative soul? It doesn't do well. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't do well. Like, I, I hate like, this. Don't like it. I love the curated feed. I do too. But I think that's selfish and me. And I. But that's that's the thing is that brands that I'm going to buy into and brands that I'm going to follow are going to have a curated feed. Right. But... That's not to say that every person and every brand needs to think that way. Right. So let's talk about gym bros. Yeah, let's do it. What's you're you're a gym bro? A little bit. Yes. How often do you work out? Uh, six days a week. Okay. How how, how are you doing? You did bodybuilding con- competitions too, right? I did Back one in the day. I did one. One. Yeah. yeah. I did really. Would well. Would you ever do it again? I, I would. Yeah. I would. I think if I do it again, I need to be able to fully go into it because when I did my first show I was still working mm-hmm. and I needed time off but I couldn't get it so you know what I mean it's, mm-hmm. it's a lot it's a big commitment so if I do it I will have to be fully independent yeah because it's an incredible mind game yeah and like you have to have some serious discipline yeah can I share some of that discipline can you like give me a, like a <laughs> yeah. smidge just like yeah. a, like a sliver hiring a coach helps really yeah mm-hmm. hiring someone to coach you definitely helps yeah a lot just i mean you're paying that money so it's also incentive to Mm -hmm. be accountable but um i think for me it's more important not just competing but it's more important for me to like sustain that so like what are the good habits i had during my prep if i do another prep i want to keep that ongoing you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like i don't want to like let myself like when i competed i like my normal i wouldn't even i I probably i'm probably like 25 pounds overweight right now in comparison to like I'm laughing but but it's true but like it's you're, you're yeah, in a different 20, mindset than me yeah yeah but like so like for me I want to get back to like a maintenance level like I don't care about like looking yeah. jacked or whatever I just want to get back to like a healthy maintenance level mm-hmm. but also to be fair like I'm not tracking I'm just kind of eating whatever I want yeah and working out so how has social media impacted your you know gym and fitness life I think overall in a good way I think when I was competing not so much in a good way because I was Mm -hmm. so hyper-focused on how I looked. You know what I mean? And you're just constantly comparing yourself. Mm -hmm. So the gym isn't a priority for me. It's more of like a mental health thing. Like I need to work out because I feel good working out. I like working out. I have that like 
you start to compare yourself a lot. I feel like if you are doing it for a living or if you're trying to compete and look a certain way at it, or, or like, I, I mean, for girls, like magazines and models and influencers, they all like Photoshop this and get lip injections and do all these things. It's like, you see a certain way that you're, yeah, you're supposed to look or that society mm-hmm. wants you to look and it makes you feel like how you look isn't good enough. Mm-hmm. But I think I've been able to separate that because I don't compete anymore, so I don't really care. Yeah. You know what I mean? For me, I'd use social media as a tool where like, I'll follow certain fitness influencers and save their workouts. I'm like, oh, I want to try this. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I think I use it in a good way. I think to that notion of like comparing myself, I do that though on the creative side. Yeah. Because I do that for a career. So I'm always comparing my work, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a constant battle. Constantly evaluating what you're doing and how you're doing it. Yep. I go through bouts of being like, I'm going to get really into fitness and yeah. I'm going to like have a really good routine and really good workouts. And then I'm like, um, no. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I've done that before where it's like, okay, well, I'm going to follow some people. And like, I think there is almost a category of people that are so into the gym yeah, and it translates so much on social yeah, and they use it as like almost a scrapbook of their progress right. and like where they are. Yeah. I think it's an interesting way to use social media as far yeah. as like tracking your fitness journey and like fitness accounts and like f- the same thing with Finstas, but like fitness Finstas. Yeah. You know, like a side hustle project where you're pretty much just like creating your own little bubble of people that are going to follow your journey. Like and yeah. you're not trying to make it anything special, but then some people just end up blowing up because they've done so well. Right, right. Yeah, people definitely use it as like a scrapbook mm-hmm. just to keep track of their progress. It's cool to look back on. So have you made any friends through uh, fitness Instagram, fitness TikTok? Yeah, 100%. Yeah? Yeah, 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 for sure. I think for me, like when I first moved here, I didn't know anybody. So my goal was to like DM and meet someone new every single day. Mm-hmm. And I got that up for a year. And it wasn't weird. It wasn't like, hey, my name's Hui, let's hang out. Like it was just like little fire emojis here, like like a couple of their photos in a row. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. just like be very nonchalant, casual about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, like I feel like guy or girl if i'm meeting someone for the first time it's always like oh let's go ahead and work out like this is that's a i think that's a good way for me to get to know people yeah you know because it's just like if you're meeting someone like you know sometimes people will reach out like oh let's just get coffee like oh i'm a photographer too let's go get coffee i'm like that's kind of weird like i want to just sit and like you know it feels like so like yeah you know what i mean like that's I, interesting like for me i feel like when we go to the gym I'm like oh what's up like yeah let's go ahead and work out like you know then we can kind of talk while we're working out you know what i mean that is so interesting to me because i never work out with people yeah like in a class i will yeah i'm doing pilates that's it yeah otherwise i'm like even eric the second we go into the gym i'm like i don't know him i don't know you yeah you like, do your own thing don't talk to me 100 yeah. percent. but this is could be a really interesting way to get back into the gym yeah no it's cool <laughs> using it as a friend time yeah I, I i love i love doing that that's how that's pretty much how i meet all my friends it's just like oh yeah it's work out yeah you know super interesting yeah so do you think overwhelmingly that social media is a great thing or do you think inevitably it's not a great thing? I think it's a great thing because I think it's leveling the playing field. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, you are able to build a life. You're able to do what you love, document doing what you love or learn something and aspire to be whatever it is like esthetician or hairdresser or hairstylist or mm-hmm photographer, whatever it is, like you can do that by using social media as a tool. 
but I do know that there are bad sides to it where like, you know, after a very long, hard day, you're stressed and you just scroll and scroll and scroll. And that can be very like, you can use that to numb yourself. But my argument is like people who also do that with TV or shows or whatever it is. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's like, why are we so focused on blaming social media for these bad things? Mm -hmm. Um, I like what Gary V says about it, which is like humans innately have a lot of bad things and they do a lot of bad things. Like, but we're also really, we do a lot of good things too. So Mm -hmm. it's just what you choose to focus on. And if anything, I think social media just like is a magnifying glass and can shine a light on the good or the bad. Mm-hmm. within people or within a group of people you know so i like it because i use it a lot as a tool to network to meet people to learn things to get inspiration from and i'm using it to build leverage for myself so yeah yeah overwhelmingly positive yes yeah yeah i would agree yeah. i i i think that you know historically i've always been a big fan of it i think it's a great way to bring people together yeah I think it's a great way to keep in touch with people yeah. that we've never really had access to before. Right. It's like, I mean, how often are you picking up the phone and talking to someone? Right. Especially when it was a landline. Yeah. Like you don't have that same ability to keep in touch with people. And I think that at different stages of life, there's different things that come up that you're like, Ooh, yeah, let's go ahead and, you know, that person would be a perfect person to reach out to. Yeah. I mean, even with this podcast, I'm like, who would be amazing on this podcast to talk to about his experience and as a creator, in the space, what it's like. Thank you. So it's like, I was able to do that because, you know, because we kept up. Yeah, exactly. And I know I know all your vlogs. Yeah. I know what's going on. I know yeah. about your dog. Yeah, I love that. I love that. <laughs> I, I, I would agree with that, being able to keep up with people. I love how I don't even talk about that. But yeah, that's a big one, just being yeah. able to see what people are up to. Like, I love looking on LinkedIn and seeing, like, I'll, I'll have people from high school that I haven't talked to in years, and they're, mm-hmm. like, always watching my stories. And I'm like, oh, like I forgot about this. You know what I mean? I'm like, yeah. oh, what are they up to? And then I'll look on LinkedIn and like look at their page. I'm like, oh, cool. Like it's good to know they're doing well. Yeah. You know? Another thing that you said that I love is keeping in touch and meeting new people. Like meeting new people is, a, is an amazing one. Like how, when have you ever been able to just DM a celebrity? Yeah. And like have the chance of them reading your message and having that be an opportunity. Yeah. Like that's amazing. Twitter totally made that possible. Yeah. Really brought it down. And like, that's another factor of it is that when you're meeting people and you're keeping in touch and you're building your networks, like that's an overwhelmingly positive way of networking. Yeah. And, you know, brands, I think, can be a common interest point. Yeah. Like a brand can be a cornerstone for people coming together because they both like that type of food or they both like that specific clothing or they yeah. like that specific niche so i think that brands that can fit in seamlessly into that idea about community and bringing people together are the perfect example for how social can be a really good tool so i have a question yes so megan and i talk about this a lot but the other side of social media is the hustle culture Uh uh-huh and this like pressure to always like to like regardless I, I would say mostly in the creative field and in social and if you work in social media mm-hmm. like what are your side hustles like are you you know what i mean like mm-hmm. i feel like megan feels like there's this big pressure and i i kind of feel like that too of like you all you gotta always be hustling you always gotta be working and all this stuff like mm-hmm. i would say 
that can be good and bad, but how do you feel about that? Do you feel like that exists? Do you feel like that's a positive thing or a negative thing? 100% it exists. I think everybody likes to look bigger than they are, yeah. faster than they are, stronger than they are, better than they are. Right. And I think that there needs to be better education and better understanding around critical thinking from yeah. the end user side. And like, whether that's more tools and more resources, whether that's more funding, whether that's literally in education, yeah. as far as being able to critically think about how is this actually applying to my life and being able to separate, that goes back to psychology. Yeah, There's nothing out there really robust and impressive right now that I've been able to like wrap my head around. Like for Social HQ, I've really, I feel like there is a responsibility that brands have because they're able to market using social media that they need to be invested in end users' mental health and how they are comprehending and like using the platforms. Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, if you're working with people who are eventually one day going to be like so overwhelmed and burnt out by hustle culture, by the fact that you need to be this attainable, it's like taking everything from magazines that was negative and putting it on a grand scale and a grand scheme. Right. And we evolved so quickly as humanity, mm -hmm. we weren't supposed to know what's going on on the other side of the world at this very moment. Right. We, weren't be, we weren't supposed to be able to be programmed to be able to see everything at all times and have access to all this information. And that comes not just in social, but also in search and internet and travel. I, there's just so much more accessibility now that I think it's silly to think that that end like, mindset isn't going to be affected by the fact that you have all of this all of a sudden. Yeah. And that comes down to hustle culture too, Yeah, which is you're constantly comparing yourself. You're constantly putting yourself up against the next guy. You weren't supposed to be able to see what they were doing. Right. Like you were supposed to just be in your lane. Right. You know, and that's a whole new pressure and people talk about it, but no one really has a core solution to how to navigate it beyond improving critical thinking. And putting that onus and leadership back in yourself to be able to decipher when you've kind of had enough and when you need to take a break. Yeah. And when you're like, okay, I'm going to go ahead and let that kind of roll off of me. Right. I like what you said about like how brands should invest in, in like the end users mental health. Like how, how do you, like, what do you think that should look like? I don't know. I don't have the answer. Yeah. I'm like so curious about it though, because I was looking high and low last year to have a partnership with a nonprofit that focuses strictly on mental health and like safe usage for folks and for kids wow. with social media. Yeah, that's so I cool. could not find. I found three organizations and they're on our website, www.yoursocialhq.com blogs, three organizations that do have initiatives that work in the field but no one is as robust as they should be for how much social media permeates culture. Right. It's like hard to keep up with. It is, it is hard to keep up with, but ultimately, no matter what changes in the landscape, no matter what new technology comes out, no matter what new features come out, at the end of the day, we need to better equip individual users and consumers on how to use it with in a positive manner in a healthy way and in a healthy way yeah. like you're saying when you're saying it can be negative when people end up you know doom scrolling yeah at the end of a hard day but that comes back to coping mechanisms yes. like how do you get someone who's you know an alcoholic to learn how to find a new coping mechanism it's right not the same but it, it comes from that similar mindset 
of you have to be able to give people the tools to make better choices for themselves and to not to neglect to talk about how social media can be negative. Yeah. I think keeps people from being able to find that solution. Yeah. So true. I love that. That just gave me so many ideas of content that I want to post, like talking about it because I, it's it's a big thing. And like, I don't want to be another person that's just like hustle culture. You know what I mean? And yeah. that, that was, that was always like, even now that I'm doing the daily vlogs, like I don't want to come across like, uh, like I'm just doing all these things. Cause there's so much in my life that I don't show mm-hmm. mostly because like these are short form videos. Like if I showed everything, like it wouldn't be a short form video. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I don't want to come across like, oh, I'm doing all these things. And if you're not doing all these things, then you're not doing great things and you're not, Mm -hmm. you don't have a good life. Like that's not how I want to come across, you know? Yeah. But that also comes down to what sparks joy versus what doesn't. Exactly. You and I both work in social media. Yeah. We both use social media vastly differently. True. We have some overlap. Yeah. But at the end of the day, there's things that fill your cup that drain mine. And there's probably things that fill mine that drain yours. Yeah. And it's like that at the end of the day, understanding that people are going to operate differently and find joy differently. Yeah. And like me making my videos and having my best moments put together. That's not me neglecting negatives. Right. But that's me. That's how I want to use it. Yeah. Yeah. And I even had to put a dis like I had to, I did chose to put a disclaimer on like the last two videos that I've done that are pretty much like, Hey, the world's kind of in a shithole right now. Yeah. Please know that this is like the uh-huh. highlight. Yeah. I know exactly watching every single clip that I've ever taken, how yeah. I feel. That's why I love it. I can transport back to that moment yes, in time and I be like, I feel the same way. Oh, I love like, it. I remember how excited I was. I remember how yeah. nervous I was. I, like I can feel exactly how I was in that moment. Yeah. But no one else can. Yeah. So it's like, I can watch your vlogs and be like, wow. Who is like crushing it? He's hustling. He's doing this. He's doing that. Whereas you're looking back at the same footage and you're saying, this was a tough day. It was a hard day. Yeah. And it's like that comes back to better equipping viewers. I love that. That's so cool. I love that. Yeah. yeah. That's such a good point. That's why I love having that too. Cause it's like a journal, mm-hmm. like a video journal back on your life. All right. Last question. Where is social media going to be in 10 years from now? How much do you keep up on NFTs? Oh my gosh, of course you bring up NFTs. I do not keep up nearly as much as you do. I can tell you that. Do you invest in crypto? As a family, I do. As a what? My husband does. (laughs) As a family. (laughs) As a unit, yes. (laughs) Um, As a uh, one household, yes, we do. But me, Um, myself, and I? No, but tell me more. I think that with TikTok, like it's hard to say in 10 years, right? But I, I like what I'm seeing from TikTok and the shift of like, being more authentic and having a less curated feed Mm -hmm. like i like that a lot and it's more about volume and just like posting more more often and like it's crazy because i feel like the content that we're digesting is getting shorter and shorter and Mm -hmm. shorter and shorter and i remember when i first started making videos instagram was like a 15 second video limit Mm -hmm. and then like they expanded that because you know what i mean like people wanted to see longer form and now it's like going back to shorter form um but i mentioned nfts because I think at the end of the day, when you when you think about TikTok and what resonates with people, it's it's for me, like and again, a lot of people have this misunderstanding of TikTok of it's like, oh, it's just entertainment, it's dancing, it's like funny videos. It's like, no, there's so much more than that. There's mm-hmm. there's there's therapists on there, there's doctors talking about things that you might not know. It's like very, very educational. I feel like I see TikTok as more of an educational 
uh, channel. Um, but um, I think the content that resonates the most, and I think that any platform in the future within social media that makes it easier for people to resonate with the uh, creator is going to win. Mm-hmm. And I bring up NFTs because NFTs are a smart contract. And there's this brand that I love. I'm wearing it. It's called ASRV. Honestly, that's like the only place like I would like if if a job if someone offered me a job like that's where I would work is yeah. SRV for sure, um, but they're doing really cool things like they dropped an NFT and it's a smart contract so it says if you buy this piece you have you could have a five hundred dollar gift card you mm-hmm. could go to three conferences for the next five years you can have equity in this company it could be anything mm-hmm. but once you buy it you own it and it's official and it's in your wallet and it's on the blockchain and the fact that you can resell it or you can hold it and resell in 10 15 years it, it, it it's it's um it gives the end user the ability to be feel like they're a part of this company mm-hmm. or, or this project because they believe in it mm-hmm. and i think that's so cool and i think that brands especially whether Brands, not not just, um, let's just talk about like D2C brands, like product-based brands have an opportunity with social media to start implementing more NFTs and bringing in their audience in closer. Because mm-hmm. what I'm seeing with this brand, they created a Discord. And so now they're doing like missions. So like, here's this, this mission by this Friday, take a picture of yourself with our gear, tag mm-hmm. us, be featured on our story. We'll reshare you. You get X amount of... Uh, you get like 500 XP points, which you can use as a discount. And we're going to raffle away. So out of this 50 people that entered in this giveaway, we're going to pick one person to get an NFT. Mm-hmm. Like, I think NFTs are going to be a huge part of social. I don't know what that's going to look like. But I think the reason why is because people want to feel involved with mm-hmm. what's going on. And I think that's why TikTok is, is I think that's why so much attention is on TikTok right now, because consumers want to feel more involved in a brand and see the behind the scenes and feel a part of this community. You yeah. Know what I mean, and I think the curated really, you know, artsy to fartsy kind of vibe isn't really working anymore. Yeah, I would agree. That's what I think. I laugh when you say NFT and cryptocurrency because it's a world that I think back when people were like, oh, social media is not a career, blah, 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 blah. Like didn't take it seriously. I feel like it's like 2.0 on that. Yeah. Of like, it's something that's very new. It's complicated to a lot of folks, yeah. but it's very quickly adopted by a group of folks that are all about it and think it's going to be the cool, coolest thing ever. Yeah. I don't doubt it's going to go somewhere. Yeah. I am like, it's a whole new ball game and it's like, it's weird. Buckle up and get ready for the next phase. Yeah. But I think you're onto something. Yeah. Like I feel overwhelmed just like reading up on it and trying to research because there's so much misinformation out there. Yeah, I feel information overload. Like where do I start? Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of people in the game right now that are in it for the wrong reasons because mm-hmm. they just want to make money and make a quick flip. Yeah. But I think the people that are actually in it, like if you look at some of these artists that have sold a lot of NFTs, mm-hmm. I'll send you a podcast, but this kid's like 18 and he just makes art and uh, he started making NFTs and blew up and now it's like his career but i think it's really cool i think it gives artists an opportunity to be more engaged with their audience which is awesome you heard it here first that 10 years from now we're gonna look back on this podcast yeah check it out and make sure yeah give i think the, you're on give me the clip <laughs> i will i'm gonna it. put a reminder in my google calendar 10 years from now 
Hui, oh, thank yeah. you so much for coming on the pod. Yeah. This was so much fun. Where can thank people you find for you? Having me. Pimp yourself out. Oh yeah. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It was so good to see you again. And I'm like, I'm super proud of you for, you know, just doing what you're doing and building your own company. I told you you could. And you did. <laughs> I did. You did. I did. And now you got these Airbnbs. You're gonna have an empire. I love it. <sighs> um, you can find me on Instagram and on TikTok. On Instagram, it's made by Hui. Um, Instagram.com slash made by Hui. And then on TikTok, it's shot by Hui. So excited. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I'll see you guys later. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Social Complex Podcast. Your support means the world to me. So if you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please be sure to leave a five-star rating and subscribe to our show. We'll be releasing a new episode every Tuesday, bringing you various stories, deep dives, and discussions around the complexities of social media in our modern world. To follow along for more, be sure to follow us at Your Social HQ on Instagram or check out Social HQ at www.yoursocialhq.com. I'm your host, Hillary Applegate, and I'll see you back here next week. Stay sane out there. This episode of The Social Complex was produced by You Lucky Dog Podcasts. Do you love recording your podcast, but the idea of mixing and editing makes you want to pull your hair out? Well, you're in luck. Whether you're just getting started or looking for help with an already established show, You Lucky Dog Podcasts can help take your content to the next level. Put your show in the hands of experienced professionals so you can focus on creating and having fun. Visit youluckydogpodcast.com and book your podcast consultation today. That's youluckydogpodcast.com.